Considering together great stories from God's Word, we last left Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Today, we're focusing on Exodus chapter 14 and the deliverance of God's people. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn there, and you'll want to follow along as I get to the Scripture here in just a few moments. Hurricane Florence was predicted to hit the coast of North Carolina a few weeks back as a Category 4 hurricane. Sergeant Justin Peterson, an infantryman with the 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, started stocking up supplies in preparation. He said, I knew that it was going to be bad, so I bought a boat and filled it with go bags, MREs, and anything that I'd need to do search and rescue. And then he waited. When the officials asked for volunteers with boats, he and his friend answered the call. Sergeant Peterson said there was a woman at one house standing in water chest high saying that she could hear people screaming for help a couple of houses over. He rescued her and then found a woman and two children with their dogs and rescued them. Multiple rescues were completed before the ordeal was over, delivering people from their trouble and saving lives. See, we often find ourselves in need of deliverance. We find ourselves in the sticky situations, the difficult situations of life, where it seems like we're between the proverbial rock and a hard place. And there's no way out. We don't know what to do. We don't know what the answer is. And if the answer did not come to us by power outside of us, we would be left without hope. Israel, God's people, found themselves in need of deliverance. Moses answered God's call at the burning bush to be the representative and the deliverer of God's people to return back to Egypt and lead them out of their position of slavery and to make their journey toward the promised land. If you're looking for a historical timeline here, we're somewhere along 1440 B.C. Exodus 5, following the burning bush experience, gives the account of Moses and Aaron going before the Pharaoh. And he said in verse 1 of chapter 5, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But you know the rest of the story. The Pharaoh did not let God's people go. Instead, he decided that he was going to make the circumstance even more difficult. So he laid even more burdens on Israel and thought that he would keep them in bondage. But there came a point, as it often does, when God had enough. And when God had enough, he began to bring plagues upon Egypt. Water turned to blood. Frogs, gnats. Swarms of flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then finally the death of the firstborn along with the Passover. Then came the exodus from Egypt and the departure toward the promised land. And they set out, probably about two million of them, and the Lord went ahead of them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead their way. And it would be at this point in this message that many people would spend the next 10 to 15 minutes somehow trying to demonstrate to you that this plausibly could have happened. 
and to tell you that this is in fact a real story and to give you an apologetic argument because some would not believe that something of this magnitude could take place. But I want to be transparent here by saying I believe the biblical account is true. And because I believe that God has the power to speak all of creation into being, I do not find it difficult to believe that God could also overcome his own supernatural, by his own supernatural power, natural laws to bring something miraculous to pass. And I also want to state here that there is a strong parallel between the physical deliverance of Israel from the bondage of Egypt and the spiritual deliverance of God's people from the bondage of sin. So we're going to see a salvation narrative here of deliverance from sin. But we're also going to see how God works in the difficult circumstances of life even after we're saved. When we find ourselves in a position where it seems like there's no way out, and yet God by his power intervenes on our behalf and he sees us through to the other side. So let's consider together three reasons why we need deliverance from Exodus chapter 14. And the first is this, we need deliverance because of our dilemma. We need deliverance because of our dilemma. We pick up in chapter 14 and verse one and says, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Piharath between Migdal and the sea, you will camp in front of Baal Zephon facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Verse five, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians... All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pihirath in front of Baal Zephon. We need deliverance because of our dilemma. God told the people to go and camp between Migdal and the sea. And in camping, they were to face the sea. Now let's get some perspective here in mind, they've journeyed to this point where they're now facing the sea. The mountains are on either side of them. And the only way out is the way back. The only option is to go back into the face of the enemy. And because of the hardened heart of Pharaoh, he thinks that he's got the people boxed in and he decides that he's going to pursue them. So he gets his chariot ready and He takes his troops with him with 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt. And he pursues the Israelites until he caught up with them. Their backs were against the wall and they were in a dilemma with nowhere to turn. 
And it's oftentimes that God will either permit us to be in a circumstance like this, or God will bring us to a circumstance like this so that he can show himself powerful and faithful. And we will see that the salvation has come from the Lord and not from our own strength. And that's where Israel found themselves. We're in a dilemma because we are sinners before a holy God. We sin because we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And all of us are guilty before a holy God. This is the ultimate dilemma. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, there's certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 64 and verse 6 said, all have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and following, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become useless. There's no one who does good. There is not even one. Now, we're all familiar with what a dead-end street is. You come to that place where you see the sign and it says, dead-end. The dead-end sign is telling you that the road does not progress beyond a certain point. It ends what might seem like in a premature spot. Street traffic is prohibited from flowing through because the roadway runs out. Traffic cannot travel beyond a certain point, and there are signs to show us where the street ends. You see, God has given us his word, and God has given us his spirit to show us that there is a dead end because of our dilemma of sin. There is a hopeless circumstance of which none of us can deliver ourselves apart from the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that it's our sin that leads us to the ultimate dead end, which is a place the Bible calls hell. Now that makes some people uncomfortable, but the Lord Jesus Christ spoke more about hell in the New Testament than he did about heaven. It was Jesus who compared hell to the valley of Hanom near Jerusalem called Gehenna. Gehenna was nothing more than a public rubbish dump where they would place dead bodies and they would burn trash continuously in smoldering fires. So the word Gehenna became a synonym for hell. It became an understanding of the awful circumstance that awaits all who are not redeemed. And it was Jesus who also compared hell to a prison and to outer darkness. It was Jesus who compared hell to a fire at least 20 different times. And there's a particular account in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus speaks of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, some would say that this account in Luke chapter 16 is nothing more than a parable. I believe, in fact, it is an example that is given to us by our Lord to show us the difference between the reality of hell and the hope of heaven. The rich man had it all. He would dress in the finest clothes. He had the finest place to live. He had the best food. And he died. When he died, he went to the place of suffering representing hell a place of torment. But there was Lazarus, this old beggar who would be laid there at the gate of the rich man's house. And he would hope that just a few crumbs from the table of the rich man would fall to him so that he would have some type of sustenance. In his life, he had nothing. He didn't have the best clothes. He didn't have the best food. He was covered with sores. 
But when he died, apparently because of his faith, he was carried to a place that the Bible calls Abraham's bosom, which represents heaven. The rich man, recognizing the dead end that he had arrived in, pleads for mercy. And he also pleads for mercy for his brothers. And he's told that if his brothers had not uh, paid attention to the testimony that had been given to them, then they certainly wouldn't if someone else went to them. But here was Lazarus, not in the place of dead end dilemmas. Here was Lazarus who had been delivered to the very presence of God, who had been rescued out of his dilemma. And yet the rich man was without hope. Now spiritually, we find ourselves in a dilemma because of sin. And if we are not saved, we're headed toward the ultimate dead end. And then we also find ourselves in the dilemmas in the circumstances of life. And that's where Israel found themselves. Nowhere to turn but up. The second reason that we need deliverance is because of our weakness. We need deliverance because of our weakness. Look again in verse 10. The Bible says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. And they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. As the enemy began to press in, Pharaoh and his army began to approach the Israelites I can imagine in my mind's eye that it might have been from the distance that they could see the dust rising up from their approach. Maybe they could feel the rumble of the chariot wheels and the sound of the horse's hoofbeats coming toward them. And the Bible says here with an exclamation point that they were terrified. They looked up and there were Egyptians coming after them, it says in verse 10. They might have been overwhelmed with what was going to happen, not knowing what they were going to do. And they turned to Moses and they did what people often do in times of stress. They began to blame it on somebody else. And they said, Moses, what have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? And they asked this sarcastic question, was it because there weren't graves to bury us in Egypt? We'd have been better off if we had just stayed there and served the Egyptians rather than die in the wilderness. You see, there was something that was occurring to these people in that moment. They knew they had a dilemma, but they're coming to the realization of their own weakness. They knew that they were no match for this army that was pursuing them. And they're looking for an answer in the midst of that weakness. And it's at our point of weakness that we can find God's point of strength. 
You see, this is opposite of what the world wants to teach you because the world wants to teach you that it's in power and position and pleasure and possessions and prominence and all the things that the world would say, this is what you need to go after. You need to pursue the brass ring. And yet God says, it's in our weakness that we are made strong. It's at our point of helplessness that we realize there is actually some help. It's at our point of hopelessness that we recognize that there is hope to be found. And when we come to that place of weakness, it's then that God can intervene and bring our deliverance. There's a documentary film called The Dropbox that some of you might have seen that tells the story of Lee Yong Rock, who is a pastor of the Yusurong Community Church in Seoul, South Korea. The backdrop of this is that worldwide, every year, millions of infants, babies are abandoned and left to die. Now, evidently, in some places in South Korea, this is a particularly bad problem. Children are often left to die in trash bins and alleyways, and they're left in their point of weakness with no hope. Well, some of these babies started to show up on Pastor Lee's church steps, and he decided to take action. So he and his wife, stirred by their faith in raising their own son with extreme disabilities, started to take these children in. And under much criticism, he actually built a drop box with a baby-sized drawer complete with a light and a heater and a bell where babies could be placed in it. And when the bell goes off, he knows that someone has left their baby. The pastor and his wife and volunteers care for these children, most of them disabled and unwanted, as many as a dozen at a time in a small operation, but they have rescued hundreds of abandoned newborns over the years. He believes the problem is a reality and he needs to help the babies who can't help themselves. In our point of weakness, we need a deliverer. The Israelites knew that they were weak. They recognized that there was no way out. Spiritually, we are in a dilemma. And there's no way out for us. But there are two words in the Bible that give us the greatest hope of all. In our darkest circumstance, in our greatest dilemma, and in the most difficult possible circumstance we could find ourselves in, the Bible says, but God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And it's God who steps in. And Moses tells the Israelites here, don't be afraid. Stand firm. See the Lord's salvation. The Lord's going to fight for you. You've just got to be quiet and wait. And for us, when we see our weak situation, we cry out to God for help. That's what the Israelites did. They cried out to God. Yes, they pointed to Moses. And yes, they tried to blame him for the situation. But ultimately, they're looking to God for their deliverance. And we have to do the same. We pick back up reading here in verse 15. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. So here's what God's saying. He's saying, 
you got to keep this thing moving here because I'm about to show up and do something powerful. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I'll receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, verse 21. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. And the water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. Verse 29, but the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. So the Lord tells Moses, tell the people to break camp. And the angel of the Lord who had been in front of them, leading them, goes around to be their rear guard. And the pillar of cloud that had led them goes around. And all night long, there was no interaction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And God told Moses to lift up his hand and to lift up his staff and when he did, God brought a strong wind, a, a wind that is a supernatural wind to blow back the water so that they would be like walls on either side and so that the ground would be dry. The Israelites passed through. The Egyptians began to come after them. God confounded them and confused them and they started swerving and there was chaos. And then God told Moses to do it again. And the water came in on them and they were no more. Not a single enemy survived. Now here's our takeaway for this. God goes before us to lead us through his word and his spirit. He goes behind us to guard us and he encircles us by his power. And our protection that is promised from God is an eternal protection we could lose our lives in this world. After all, life on this earth is temporary at best. It's not forever. Our souls are. But what God is protecting is the life that he has put in us forever. 
and he delivers us from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And in our weakness, God gives us resurrection power because Christ has overcome sin and death and hell in the grave. And God has rescued us from our dilemma in our weakness. And I'm so thankful today that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm so thankful that Jesus left the glory of heaven and entered into the mess of this world. I'm so thankful that God became man and dwelt among us. I'm so thankful that Jesus was tempted at every point as we are, yet he was without sin. I'm so thankful that Jesus was willing to fulfill the law of God and the will of God by willingly giving himself at the cross as the penalty for our sins. I'm so thankful that Jesus was willing to have the wrath of God placed upon him so that we would not have to pay the penalty for our own sins. I'm so thankful that Jesus was not only buried in a borrowed tomb, but he was raised on the third day and that he ascended back to the right hand of God, the father, and he is coming again soon. I am thankful that Jesus came to rescue us from our dilemma in our weakness. Katharina Grohn started a hiking journey on the long Pacific Crest Trail out west along the Mexico border just earlier this year. Along the hiking trail, she ran into another fellow hiker by the name of Nancy Abel at a place called Lake Susan Jane on October the 22nd, just a few days ago. The two hiked together for two hours before they parted ways and grown, the more inexperienced hiker, continued her way north. Now, Abel was concerned because she knew that weather was going to set in and it could be quite dangerous for a hiker who did not know their way. So she kind of made a mental note to herself of where she had left this fellow hiker. Just in case the weather did turn, she was going to do something about it. Well, Grown makes her way all the way to Glacier Peak. And it was at Glacier Peak in the midst of some severe weather that she lost her shelter equipment. She lost two sets of gloves in the snow and the weather set in. Nancy Abel, who had made that mental note and knew that the weather had turned got out her maps and she looked at her GPS and she estimated about how far Grown could have made it on the trail. She picks up the phone and she calls 911 and she says, I parted with another lady on the trail. She continued north and I think that she might be at Glacier Peak by now. They sent out the rescue team. They got to that mountain and sure enough, They found Grown in a helpless, weak situation. She would have died on that mountain had someone not been sent to rescue her from her predicament. They put her in the Snowhawk One helicopter and they took her off of that mountain to much delight. And you see the parallel here, but if God had not sent his son Jesus to seek and to save the lost, we would remain without hope. In the same faith by which God saves us is the same faith which God gives us to overcome dilemmas and circumstances in life. Israel knew about God because they had seen God sustain them, even in the midst of those 400 years of slavery. They had seen the power of God in sending them their deliverer, Moses, who was representative of the power of God. And even though they had questions when they got their backs against the wall, even though they were facing that sea and those mountains were on either side and those enemies were behind them, they knew that God was their hope in weakness. 
And it's in the circumstances of life that we have to have faith as well. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. But faith starts where man's power ends. Friend, in the difficult circumstances of life, God will meet you at your point of need and see you through to the other side. And here are some wonderful words of hope in the passage of Scripture that we just read, beginning in verse 13, if you drop back just a little bit. Write this down. God does not want us to fear our circumstances. He wants us to fear Him. He says, don't be afraid, stand firm. God does not leave us to die without help. He says, you will see the salvation of the Lord. God invites us to faith. He says, be quiet before the Lord. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do when you get in a dilemma. Because you want to solve your problem now. You want to provide the answer for your problem now. You want to get yourself out of the jam now. And sometimes God just says, you got to stand back and you got to wait and you got to stand firm in what you believe. You got to hold on to what you know. You got to know in your heart that God is faithful and you be quiet and you see the salvation that will come from the Lord. That's how God works. And God protects us along the way. I love verse 13 because it says you'll never see the enemy again. You do understand that We battle in this age against the world and the flesh and the devil. And in Christ, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. We can overcome the power of sin. But there's coming a day when we'll be rescued from the very presence of sin. And then even though you have a tempter and you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus Christ has given you life and life eternal. And there'll be a time when you will see the enemy no more because of God's power. And he says in verse 14, God will fight for you. The Lord will fight the battle. So I just ask you today, what dilemma are you trying to overcome on your own? Could it be that God has brought you to this very passage of Scripture so that you could see with clarity your own weakness and so that you could come to God in faith and see what God can do? Maybe you've been going through the religious motions and you think somehow that's going to be good enough when you step out into eternity and God is saying to you here that you've got a dilemma that you cannot save on your own. You're in a weakness that you cannot overcome in your own power, but God has sent his son, Jesus, to deliver you. Your whole life could change today. Your whole eternity could change today if you'd only believe And that brings me to the third and final reason we need deliverance. We need deliverance because of our purpose. Pick back up reading here in verse 29. The Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on the left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him. And in his servant, Moses. This wasn't the destination God was taking them to. This was a point of deliverance on the journey. 
Your salvation in Christ is not the destination. That's the beginning of life with him. That's the embracing of the gospel. That's coming to life by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. But you're on a journey. You're headed toward that heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. And they were headed toward the promised land. And Moses follows their deliverance with a song of praise to God in Exodus 15. And we'll not look at this in its entirety, but I do want to reference a couple of verses here. Because the triumphant song is a description of the power of God as the defender of his people. And now watch this. The victory at the Red Sea was a guarantee of the fulfillment of God's purpose for Israel in the future, in the arrival at, and the possession of the promised land. The generation who failed to believe, of course, in the wilderness was not permitted to enter in. But the younger ones, as a people and as a nation, fulfilled their purpose by the Lord's power. Look at what Exodus 15 and verse 11 through 13 says. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonder? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to what? Your holy dwelling with strength. I love the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And in it, this story is recounted in part. Along about verse 27, it says, By faith, Moses left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. He persevered as one who sees the one who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Here's God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life is faithfulness now for his glory. And it is eternal life in his presence in the life to come. Faithfulness is all about being conformed to the image of Jesus. It's all about becoming like the one who redeemed you. It's about the power of the spirit transforming you so that you would be more like Christ. And the word for all of us here is fear and believe the Lord. That's the word. Have a holy reverence for who God is and what God is capable of doing and fear him and believe him that he is able. The scholar D.A. Carson said the exodus of God's people out of Egypt is the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament. It is a major key to understand the Old Testament. and It is a major key to unlock the meaning of the entire biblical plot line. I'm going to point one thing out to you in the New Testament. I'm going to close. I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to make a note of it. In Luke chapter 9, it's the account of the transfiguration of Jesus. When Jesus' glory was revealed in part, and there on the Mount of Transfiguration were Moses and Elijah with Jesus appearing in glory and splendor with our Lord. And they spoke there, the disciples did, about the departure of Jesus in verse 31. Now, here's why this is important. The word in the original language for departure, get this, is exodus. The exodus. Remember, this is a 
This is a template that kind of overlays the scripture. But Jesus was preparing to exit the world through the cross in his resurrection and his ascension and to go up into heaven. And it's Jesus who makes way for our exodus from the slavery and the bondage of sin. And it's Jesus who makes way for our exodus from this life to the next. And it's all because of what he's done. So it all comes back to Jesus. That's what the Passover was about. That's what the exodus was about. That's what the cross was about. That's what eternity is about. It's all for the glory of the eternal kingdom and the one true king. And we are just blessed to be a part of his family. The deliverance of God's people is available to you. If you'll only believe faith, believing in the invisible as God sees you through the visible. Let's bow our heads together as we pray.